Alright, everybody have a handout. Yes. Yes. All right, so like you know, Steve mentioned, uh, I always feel bad about the size of my handouts. Uh, and I worked so hard to get this one down to six. So then, uh, then I got an idea. What I did instead is I've got a slide deck with like a hundred slides. Oh. Actually, there's like eighty. But. Um, so I put a lot of tables, charts, and whatnot. A lot of the, the material, supporting material to the handout is up here. And if anybody wants a copy of the slide deck, you know, PDF, that's, that's no big deal. I can get it to you. Um, I do. I want a copy of that. Oh, well, you might want to see it first. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want that. All right, so. We're not going to be real, well, yeah, I guess we are today. I was going to say real heavy in the Bible, but. All right, let me test my clicker out here. All right, cool. all right let me back up. All right, uh, all right, so on the handout, we're starting a series, The History and the Heritage of Our Bible, and I, I kind of stole that from Randy. I thought that was a really cool title, because that's what he called his series when he went through it a few months ago. Um, I think most of us here, if you've been around this church for a while, you've went through manuscript evidence. Uh, you know, we teach it in D2. Uh, Brian mentions a lot of the facts from the pulpit. I mean, we're exposed to a lot of the truth that we're going to go over today or over the next few weeks. Um, sometimes it can be a little dry, you know, I'll be honest, because when you start getting into the, all the papyries and codexes and, and fragments and this and that and the other, it, you know, I, I find myself getting lost in the verbiage and who did what, when, and that kind of stuff. So what I was going to do when I, when I teach through this, um, you know, you guys know I love history, so I'm going to try to kind of map manuscript evidence in with uh, history. Um, what I think is really cool with this approach is uh, even like with our own lives, you know, if you think back to your own life, when you're in your 20s and 30s, uh, at least me, at big time, I didn't really know what God was doing in my life, you know, and things were happening, and I was meeting people, some were good, some were bad, I had some good jobs, some bad jobs, but now that I'm closing in on 60, when I turn around and see that, I could see God's hand kind of moving me. And as I would get exposed to bad things, he would move me somewhere else. So I can really see God's fingerprint in my own life. And when I think about manuscript evidence, that's exactly what I see in history. Because as, uh, as counterfeit Bibles came out, and true Bibles came out, and kings were on the throne, and popes were on the, the throne, things happened in the, the world of manuscript evidence that really changed and altered the course of how, how we got God's Word today. So I'm going to kind of go over all that. And we're not going to get into that too much today. I've got this, uh, this big honking timeline that I made that covers all of, the, of what I just said. Uh, we're not going to start it today. I'm going to start this probably next week or two. I'm going to print this off for everybody. Um, but So I, I hope that will be an interesting way of of, of teaching how we ended up with this English Bible that people have died for over the centuries and what, what God did what to get it to us. So that's kind of my goal. So, let me get that out of the way. Uh, let's see here. Actually, I'm just going to fold this up where I need it. That'll be my timeline next week. Alright. Oh, I had a candy bar bonus. I put on my, I always forget my candy bar bonus questions. Mm -hmm. So this, this week I thought, unless I forgot my candy bars. They've missed. Uh, oh, here they are. Candy bars. I got four or five. Yeah, and I always, I forget, and it's easy to forget, isn't it? I mean, when you're up here. So I put it in my little teacher notes. Uh, All right, first question about our Bible. I think everybody's gonna know this. How many languages was our Bible written in? The original writings. Anyone know? 
close. Three. All right, Pam gets candy ball right out of the gate. Three languages. Can anybody... Uh, here you go, Pam. Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. Oh, Pam, look at you. You got one for all your grandkids. All right, what she said, for those online that may not have heard, our Bible... Oh, God. For the grandkids? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you'll be Yeah, I brought them. I got one, one left, so I'll have to think of good. All right, our Bible, when it was originally written... Uh, most of the Old Testament, really all the Old Testament is in Hebrew. Uh, Daniel wrote a couple hundred verses in the book of Daniel in Aramaic, because whenever he was in Babylon, they were Aramaic, so he wrote some stuff for them. So we got a little bit of Aramaic in there. And then all the New Testament is Greek. So that's what our Bible is written in. Alright, so let's move on. Alright. A little definition here. Manuscript evidence. Manus is from the Latin hand, by hand, and then scriptus, written. It's handwritten information is what a manuscript is. It's been written by hand. And in our context, I wonder if this works. No, it doesn't. In our context, manuscript evidence, and what we're going to look at is the evidence that we have today, you know, by, that, by that history I was talking about, the timelines. The evidence that we have today that what we have in our laps are the pure words of God that He wants us to have. That it hasn't been altered and that it hasn't been messed up by people. That's what that's what we're going to talk about. The evidence that we have that has been transmitted accurately from generation to generation. And there's a verse, uh, one of my favorite verses, and we'll look at it in a little bit, covers that. Alright, when I think of manuscript evidence, this is what I think of. When I seen this picture, I thought, man, that is th this study of manuscript evidence. It is a wild ride. <laughs> and it's like the river, you know, is preventing these guys from, from conquering it. And that's kind of like the, the, the scholarship and the thought of today. And there are so many things in our culture that really don't want us to know the truth about where our Bible comes from. And, and, uh, and, and these are rough waters to navigate. Uh, a person has to be very careful. And actually, I'll give you an example. Um... You know how there's that old saying that the the victors of a war or a country or whatever, they can write the history about what happened. Um, the Catholic Church has rewritten, or tried to rewrite, a lot of the history of the early church and, and, a, and, a, and a lot of things we're going to talk about over the next few weeks. Uh, they've they've kind of hijacked a lot of the early church fathers and what they did and and they degrade them and they, they say things about them that aren't true so they they make it really hard to learn the truth you've got to really study and dig to find the truth of what really went on and actually what you really need to do or you don't have to do but a person has to read the original writings Read for yourself, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to read for myself what some of these early church fathers did and said. Don't rely on what history is saying about them, because history has been rewritten and changed for their narrative. But anyway. That's you right on the front there, isn't it? Yeah. This is just so, like, I mean, really, uh, I don't know how much we'll, maybe we'll get into some of it, but. Uh, the study of manuscript evidence is just unbelievable. The things that you will come across and read about that you know just flat out are not true. It's like someone's trying to trick me here. And fortunately, you know, our church has been very good about teaching us the truth, so we can kind of recognize when we hit these, you know, rapids and things. But uh, you know, I feel sorry for most of the people that they just don't know. So anyway, yeah. When uh, my oldest daughter was born in Wyoming, when I lived in Wyoming. Okay. We lived just at the, the bottom of the Continental Divide. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of river rafting and lot. Yeah. And they, they take tours. And the tour guides, they, because uh, these are people that most of them have never even been on the water, maybe. 
they don't, they, you're able to like sit in the big grass, but they don't teach you how to ride in the raft. They teach you what to do okay. when the raft flips. Okay. So, and the professionals kind of do the. Yeah, you have to know, like, and the Bible's kind of the same way. The Bible, it, you know, it's our guidebook of life. Mm -hmm. And so it teaches us what to do in our raft tips. That's true. How to get back up right. That's a good analogy. Because you're going to, your, your boat's going to tip. It's going to tip, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, if you're a Christian very long, you're going to run into this issue. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's good. And, and, you know, another good point. Um, that you remind me of there is hopefully this can be real interactive and if you guys have any questions about anything we're not on our strict timeline uh, as we go through this material if you have a question comment whatever just that way I'm not just dumping out information but you have a clicker uh oh ah, there it is all right well like I said I'm gonna put it back on these boys I like looking at them. All right, so let's look at the handout. All right, so we talked about the manuscript evidence, the definition. It's it's the proof that um, God's words have been transmitted to us accurately. And then I had to put the spoiler alert. Not all translations are created equal, which we know that. Um, you know, uh, my own, I don't know, personal testimony a little bit on this is when I got saved in 83, I was going to church with Sherry. Little Baptist Church in Independence, and we used the King James. I, I never thought anything of it. Uh, growing up, we had a King James Bible somewhere in the house, and every once in a while we'd go to church, and I would take the King James Bible, and that was just that was to me the Bible. After I got saved, I was a janitor at the Independence Center, and uh, there was a Zondervan's. And the NIV had just come out, and I used to go to Zonovans all the time for my lunch breaks and things. And uh, Zonovans, you know, they always had these big displays about the NIV, and and I really I remember being very puzzled by that. One of the guys I worked with as a janitor was going to school, the Baptist Seminary down in the Baptist College down in Bolivar, and he would always kind of dog on me for my King James, and I just didn't know any better. I thought I had that to me was the Bible, so. Uh, that was kind of my first exposure, um, and I, I think all of us have run across friends and, and even had doubts ourselves, like, you know, we're using the King James here at HBF, is that true, is that what we should be using, you know, that, that kind of thing, so, all right, because we are the underdogs, I mean, we are ridiculed for, for our King James position, uh, scholarship, they, they claim falsely claim um, that more reliable manuscripts have now been found than what our original 1611 translators found or had available. Uh, they have a whole vocabulary of terms and things to scare us into submission that maybe I don't have the true words of God. And, and that's what we're going to talk about over the coming weeks is what some of those arguments are. But that's part of the wild ride that we're, that we're on with this subject. So, all right, uh, all right, so we're going to divert a little bit. The, the next part on the handout, the important claims and doctrines that we must accept by faith. All right. We all believe um, the virgin birth. You know, we, why do we believe that? Because he said it. Words in a book told us about the virgin birth. I wasn't there. I mean, none of us were there. There was no eyewitnesses, really. I mean, the, it's Joseph. But. So the same with the creation account. The reason we believe the creation account are words in a book. That's what the Bible says. So there are important doctrines, like, and I listed a few, the, the forgiveness of our sins. I mean, we don't know. I mean, but the words in this book tell me that if I... If Jesus is my Savior and ask Him to come into my heart, He will forgive my sins. It's words in a book that have told me these things. On a similar note, words in a book are telling us that God will preserve those words for us. So, believing in the preservation of God's Word and that it was 
transmitted to us today is an act of faith just like when we believe the virgin birth or the creation account or the forgiveness of our sins. So many of those key documents. Does that make sense? That's how important the preservation piece is. And, and I wrote down a few things. You know, the Bible, and these are all review. I'm sure we all know these things. Some of the things that the Bible claims about itself. Hebrews 4.12, you know, it's, it's the sword, quick and powerful. It's the book that we say, it reads you when you're reading it. Which I always thought was, was pretty neat. John 17, that's where Jesus said that, you know, God's word is absolute truth. I mean, the Bible cl- makes these very bold claims about itself. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul even says that I'm, I'm delivering the word of God to you. He recognized that he was delivering God's word. Uh, 2 Peter 1.21, that's the verse about the inspiration that holy men were moved as they spake of the Holy Ghost, that God used man as his pen. You know, like when Steve was talking about Jeremiah and, and Baruch, you know, Jeremiah goes into a trance, Baruch writes it down, that's what God did. And, and we know this. And then Proverbs 35, every word of God is pure. Every word. You know, not just the intent. Not, not a phrasing of it, but every word is true. Um, the word scripture, it's just the ecclesiastical Latin, you know, it's a sacred writing or book. Nothing, nothing real big there. But that's kind of an introduction. We all know the Bible makes these very bold claims about itself, and, and our job is to believe the claims that it's made like that, just the way we believe the claims about the virgin birth and forgiveness and, and things like that. So. Alright, some more slides. I thought I would... This is what the, what the scriptures say about themselves. This is just some interesting things that um, you know, Jesus said we're not to live by bread alone. Um, we know that most of the I'm going to fly through these. Jesus said unto them, did ye never read in the scriptures? And, and what he's doing is quoting Psalms 118 so Jesus is quoting psalms that David wrote and calling them scripture. So I think that's interesting. Yeah. In Acts, sorry, this is the famous story we're all familiar with in Isaiah when he tells Philip to go catch up to the Ethiopian eunuch. And the eunuch was reading scripture. He's reading the Isaiah that we, you know, we've all studied. So Obviously, the Ethiopian eunuch didn't have the original Isaiah scroll that Isaiah himself penned. There's no way that's going to happen. It wouldn't have existed at that time. So he's reading a copy that someone made of the book of Isaiah. And they're calling it, and the Bible's calling that scripture. So here is a, is a copy called scripture. So we know that a copy can be scripture. So... And then he says it again. He calls that thing scripture. Um, the scripture here, Moses, something that Moses said that back in Exodus, Paul's calling scripture. So that's kind of cool. And here's Apollos coming out of Alexandria. He was mighty in the scripture. So in Africa, in North Africa, he had access to scripture. I mean, it wasn't the originals. It was obviously copies. But he was mighty in them. So I just think that's interesting that uh, scriptures are called copies. Or, or, or re- copies are often the re- reference to scripture. Uh, and there's Timothy. You know, we, we're all familiar with this verse that Timothy knew the Holy Scriptures. And so I'm sure Timothy's grandma and mom didn't have the original. Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, in Timothy's house. Paul's recognizing that you you know the scriptures, and um, yeah, there's some more. Now this is kind of interesting here. This is at the end of Peter, Second Peter, when Peter is acknowledging that the writings of Paul are scripture. He's talking about Paul's writing and, and his epistles, which. Or some things are hard to understand because some of Paul's stuff's hard to understand, uh, and they they wrestle over them as they do other scriptures. I mean, Paul's writing is scripture, 
that's that's cool. Peter calls it that. And last one is First Thessalonians. This is where Paul recognizes that he's delivering the word of God to the Thessalonians. So kind of interesting. Now where that comes into play, it'll we'll kind of get into it a little more when we get into the New Testament, but at the time of the New Testament, when Paul and the guys were, were around, the, the books that would become the New Testament were already being recognized as what was true scripture and what wasn't. So like the writings of Paul are, are true scripture. So, now, we'll get down to the important doctrines that we must accept by faith. Now, like I said, just the way we have to accept you know, the virgin birth and... and Jesus forgave our sins. We have to accept this this concept or idea of preservation. Now, inspiration. I got this little table coming up. It's on your handout. It's on page two. On page two now. Inspiration. Think about this. It required a miracle of God to get the scriptures on paper. God miraculously put the the prophets or whoever into kind of a trance or, or however he did it miraculously put the words in their head and they put it on paper and that was a miracle and we all accept that miracle the miracle of inspiration <clears throat> all right it requires that's why I put it on the handout it requires a miracle of God to deliver his words to us at the same time preservation it requires a miracle of God to preserve these words for us. When these original words were written, it's a miracle that we have them today. And that's what we're going to look at with, with the history, the history part of it. And there's a couple verses here that we're going to look at. There's the inspiration. We already know kind of these. We'll just blow through that. All right. So this, this first part that I mentioned, it was a miracle that God's Word was put on paper. And that's that first line. The original autographs is what we're going to call them through this series. That's, that's what scholarship calls the original scroll that Paul or Peter or Moses or anyone wrote is the autograph. The original autograph. We don't have a problem agreeing that that was a miracle, right? Alright, so... Now let's get to preservation. Here's a couple famous verses. We've all seen probably Psalms 12, 6 that God's going to keep them from generation to generation. He's going to preserve them. Now I love this Isaiah. And I put it on parts of it on your handout. But look at Isaiah 59, 21. <coughs> He's making a covenant with, with God's people through Isaiah. My words which I put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. The words that God's putting out are going to be in our mouths and available to us forever. So I like that, preservation. So, so now we have this. So back to the original. Pretty much all of Christianity agrees that the original inspiration was a miracle. God made it happen. It's a miracle that it happened. But what they don't get is this second part. God has miraculously preserved and promised to preserve all the copies that were made from that. Because the originals are gone. They were written on vellum and papyrus and some different materials that we'll talk about they didn't last but maybe a hundred years they are long gone we don't have the originals anywhere of, of, the, of our Bible what we have are copies that were copied and there's lots of copies and, and we're going to get into some of that too the fact that God preserved his word through these copies and he said he would preserve it for us is a miracle and that's where people fail to, to put these two together. They, they agree with the originals, they don't agree with the copies. So, alright, and this is something else I thought was cool to bring out. This is something I think people forget. God has written other books other than this book that we have. He's got kind of his books, God's library. 
And I put a couple of them here. And, and Psalms 139.16 is a very interesting one. Uh, I didn't put it on. Just Can someone read that if they can get to it? Actually, read verses 15 and 16. You know, a lot of times we'll hear people say, you know, if you get cremated, then whenever the rapture comes, how's God, you're not going to have a body for God to put back together. I don't know if you've ever heard that. I've heard that. Yeah, well... This is the book that we're going to talk that that's going to help God do this, I think. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my all my members were written which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. Yes, okay, so God has a book. Dave, Dave, this is David talking. Talking about how when he was created in the womb, and you know, you know, God knew what he was doing. And that God has a book of members. It's kind of like a blueprint of our bodies. I believe God has a book of members with how we're built. How he's going to build us. And uh, he'll probably have to break it out whenever the rapture comes. I don't know. I don't understand. And that's really all the mention there is of that book that has a blueprint of our bodies. But if God had, and he has this book, we want it to be accurate, of course. And I believe God will keep that accurate. I don't want to be resurrected. Well, actually, I'd like to be resurrected with Steve's body. <laughs> but he don't want mine, you know. So we want God to keep that book square. Um, and we've, we have no problem believing that he's going to preserve that book of members. Just like these next two books, the book of works and the book of life. And this is in Revelation 20.11. I, actually, I should have wrote that in the handout. Can someone read uh, Revelation 20.11 and 12? Yes. The book of life, which we kind of know what that is, and then, like Angie read, there's, there's books, plural. There's other books that God's using. Now, actually, Candy Bar, does anyone know what the context is of that little event that she just read? It's a great white throne judgment, which we won't be in, hopefully. That'll be for the unsaved dead, but the point is, there are books that God has, plural, in Revelation in these verses, where he keeps track of who's doing what and he'll be judged against those when you stand before him. We would want that book to be accurate. We don't want God putting, just like at the judgment seat, I don't want God putting someone else's bad works on my account or vice versa. We want these books to be accurate. And uh, I think we have no problem believing like the book of life. That's another book. We know that, that when we get saved, God writes our name in the book of life. And we're hallelujah. We want that book to be accurate. When I get to heaven, I don't want him to, oh, Jim, I don't know. I thought I wrote it. You know. Yeah, we want that book to be spot on. And we have no problem believing that it'll be spot on. Because that's God's book. So why do we have problems believing that this, that God can't preserve this? You know, this is also his word and then he's his book. So that's why I think manuscript evidence is, people kind of forget that. They get caught up in some of the other issues of scholarship and things. So anyway, those are the books. We want them to be 100% accurate, infallible. And that's kind of where uh, this comes in. Uh, what I thought I would do, just kind of for the fun, I guess fun of it, just, just to show you how bad and how rapid the waters are and where the state of Christianity is today. What I thought I would do is just, I went online and I, I found a bunch of my favorite preachers. And these are guys that I absolutely respect. 
you know, I put Chuck Swindoll first because he has always been my mentor. I started listening to Chuck in the 80s. I went to uh, their websites to see what do they believe. And they always, you know, Chuck you know, puts that the Bible is without error in its original manuscripts. Okay, we all know that. But there's nothing about preservation and then he sells the Swindoll Study Bible in the New Living. And, you know, if you've read the New Living, it's, it's pretty bad, but and I've heard Chuck say this on his program, that he'll read all kinds of translations. And uh, I respect the man. I mean, his, his application is just, to me, so good. It's, it's just really good. But I can't really um, take teaching from, from Chuck, like end time stuff or deep prophecy things, because he really doesn't have the right Bible. And it breaks my heart on some of these guys. When I was putting this together, I, I was hoping that surely this guy believes in the preservation of God's Word, and they don't. So, so that got me just, let's go through some of these guys. David Jeremiah, another favorite. I mean, we see him at Sprint Center. I mean, God's hand is on this guy. And uh, just a great Bible preacher. Believes in the verbal inspiration, but that's kind of where it ends. You know, now he's selling his own Jeremiah Bible and, 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 and IV, ESV, and some of these other versions. None of them sell the King James. They all have their own little version there. New King James. New King James. That's, that's not new. It's, not uh, new. yeah. I mean, I know it's not new, but is it one of the better of those three? Or? Um, possibly. I mean, they're often the same manuscripts. Yeah. This is Nelson, Thomas Nelson's version of them. This is made by Biblica. That was the American Bible Society, and that was Thomas Nelson. They all kind of come from the same pool. But David Jeremiah, I, this is the website. I just pulled it right off. I mean, it's just I went to his, his website. Uh, man, this broke my heart. I mean, I've heard him say this on the radio, because I listen to him about every morning. He comes on around 6.30. Um, and he's very clear. He, he, he believes that in the original manuscripts, they believe the whole Bible is in the, in the originals is without error. But what we have has errors in, in these guys' mind. And, but he did use a KJV, and I never heard him use a New King James. But Jack Hibbs, I don't know if you guys listen to him. I like Jack. He's kind of a funny guy. But, you know, again, he has to put. It's without error in the originals. Nothing about preservation. Uh, Greg Laurie. Man, this guy's awesome. I mean, he gets more people saved than... Man, he's always doing these big rallies and stuff. It's inerrant in the originals. Not what we have. And he's got the New Believer's Bible. Johnny Mack. Absolutely inerrant in the original documents, and I've heard him speak on this quite a bit. He he doesn't believe in the he doesn't believe in the preservation like none of these guys do. Um, has his own Bible, Hawks. Charles Stanley. I mean, we all love Charles Stanley. The Bible's you know pure as it appeared in the original manuscripts. In the original, the originals are no error, and he sells these other Bibles. So. And we chip to Chip Ingram, same way, original autographs. Adrian Rogers, I was shocked. He is the man. He even throws, I mean, and, and I mean, like I said, these guys, we all know these are very godly men. They just don't believe this doctrine of preservation. The KJV is a translation just like many others. I mean, we all know that's not true. There's thousands and thousands of differences between our text and others. And, and those other texts attack the deity of Christ, the Trinity. The, they leave out verses. Leave out verses, chapters. There's whole stories, the woman at the well, the pool, just on and on, the things that they're different. But he, that's on his website. Now, whether or not he wrote it or someone's wrote it since he's, he's passed, I don't know. But... Mm. 
Um, it's just sad. So aren't they by default claiming that the Bible they're promoting are also not accurate because they're not the original either? Yeah, to us. Kind of. To us, they are. I mean, that uh, our position is like you're promoting a cheap copy if you don't think we have the real thing and. Uh, that, that's why I, th I thought I would just point some of this out. This is how bad it is in Christianity right now in America is that the top preachers on the radio that everyone's listening to don't even believe that the Bible's been preserved, that God can preserve his book. Do you think that goes back to like the deeds of the Nicolaitans where they're trying to conquer the people? Like Probably. Come to them like yep. the priests because they have the names mm -hmm. and I'll tell you what it says. You know. Yeah, like, yeah, you're exactly right, Pat. Because like these guys, we've all heard them. Well, in the original Greek, this word was you know apolepos, and that means such and such, and it should be translated this. So now they're the authority. Like, wow, he knows Greek, and he knows what it really says. So yeah, you're exactly right. All right. It seems like it'd be hard to have faith in God if you think God can't preserve. It. Yeah, exactly. If you can't do that, then why right, right. believe in anything else he's done? Yeah, that's a good point. And like they, they don't believe in the preservation doctrine, so what other doctrines are they not believing in? I mean, they, surely the virgin birth. Yeah, or, can we believe anything else he's done? Or right. Or, you know, yeah, right. That's. It just seems like that's a small thing. Like God can, I mean, he can preserve his word. It just doesn't, I don't know, it just doesn't make sense to me that people think he can't. Yeah, right, it, it boggles our minds. Like, wow, how can you not? Yeah. Yes. Exactly. That's how bad it is. That's why it is a wild ride. You know, we're things are crazy right now. That people don't believe the basic thing here. And whenever I was putting this together, I, I was my heart was really aching. Like, you know, McGee and, and Adrian Rogers and my heroes. I thought, should I be doing this? I don't want you guys to think I'm dogging them, because I'm not. But I think we all need to be on the same page that that what's going on. And when we hear things on the radio, we have to kind of think about this and realize that. Uh, I don't know how bad like it is. Oh yeah, yeah, Robert Jeffrey. <laughs> and he's a. I don't know if you ever listen to him. He comes on around noon, but. Uh, he's the president of the Dallas Theological Seminary, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, very good speaker. I mean, I guess I can understand how like this. So staying helps, but still being part of the community. Yes, it's yeah, sad. That, These guys, that, yeah, you know, they've been hoodwinked. I know. Like, like Vernon McGee still uses KJV, or you know, on, on his program, but. But I've actually heard him say, you know, talking about the translations and just use whatever you want. They're all, you know, but. All right, so there's Robert Jeffers. Uh, I think we just have a few more. Tony Evans, another man, powerhouse. Without error in the original manuscripts. It's like they're copying this playbook. They all have to say these things. Alistair Begg, man, he's got a cool voice. He's got that Scottish. You know, inerrant and infallible in the original writings. Uh, Jack Graham, another good one. Some of these guys are a little weaker on the on their uh, thing there. Alan Jackson, he's really gotten popular in the last couple of years. But he's good. He's a good Bible expositor. Uh, but all I could find is that he just teaches and promotes the NIV. So that kind of tells me all I need to know. Uh, and the RVA is the Spanish. What do they think about the verses that are left out of it? Well, it's interesting because they don't think they're left out. They think they've been added. Oh. So the KJV, the text that we're going to talk about, <coughs> someone corrupt added verses to the Bible. Well, so like the Ethiopian eunuch where it talks about, thou believest with all thy heart, thou yeah. art thou mayest, or be baptized. Yep. So leaving out that part. Okay, you know about that. That's good. Being baptized. That's not exactly I mean, that for a lot of years. Yeah, just being baptized was okay. And that's bad. You hit the nail on the head. The verses that they take out are strategically removed to promote untrue teaching, like baptism. Baptism is a big one. Anything to do with baptism has been monkeyed with in these other texts. 
And then Angie's exactly right. The whole story about the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, what does hinder me to be baptized? They take sentences out of that story to make it sound like you must be baptized to get saved. Right. And uh, it's, that's prominent in these corrupt texts. So then it makes you wonder, where did these corrupt texts come from? That's what we're going to talk about in this uh, And I hate timeline. that because a lot of my family still believe that. Yeah. And that's how we were raised. Yeah, it is. It is. Very sad. Yeah. Uh, so Alan Jackson. So again, they don't believe the two-part miracle. You know, they believe in the first miracle that it was the original was inspired. They don't believe in that second miracle. What they believe is this. The first miracle. <laughs> they believe that we've got copies, but they're not good copies. You know, they're the they're the best that we have after two thousand years of scribal errors. That's God's word. So <laughs> you want a you want a copy or a copy or a copy or a copy? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anybody can have any of these slide decks. I can. It's a PDF. It's no big thing. So now let's get to the good guys. So I thought let's look at people we know. So Dan Renault, pastor up at Lee Summit, he was here a few months ago at the Vision Conference. Look how he words his. God has promised to preserve every jot and tittle of what he inspired. Now that's good. That's what we want to hear. Holds to the AV. Alan Shelby up in Bruce Springs. God preserved his word in a collection of specific 66 books. KJV. Brett. That's Sherry's favorite. He listens to him all the time. It's inspired. That's miracle number one. And it's preserved. Miracle number two. Alright. So where do we stand? <laughs> where do we stand on it? Uh, I think we know that uh, Yeah, that we are in Brian's good. I mean this is on our website for all to see that we believe in part one, the inspiration, and part two, the preservation. The doctrine of preservation. That God will inspire. So, that comes to you. Each one of us, as we navigate this river, have to be fully persuaded that you believe in the doctrine of preservation as much as that God can preserve His words. As much as you believe in the virgin birth or the forgiveness of our sins and all the other things that we have no real proof of. You want the copies or you want the copies? So, anyway, uh, so just a few questions. Would God inspire a text and then lose it? Hopefully not. And that's what we're counting on, especially uh, the text that has your name in the book of life. Don't lose that one. If he inspired it, if he if he went to the trouble and miraculously having these men pen it and write it down, would he want to preserve it? Of course he would. Did you know? Yeah. The Book of Numbers. I yeah. Was thinking if that's our DNA. Yeah, it could be. It's it's pretty scary to think that there's men out there um, working hard to change our DNA. Yeah, changing the book. Just like they changed this book. Yeah, that's a good point. Could be. Uh, yeah, there's not a lot about the members, and yeah, I think it's pretty interesting. So, God inspired it; He would preserve it. Next slide. This is a key point that we have to think about. Would God want to preserve His words? And this is, even gets to the crux of the problem. Does God want to preserve His words? through men that don't even believe that he, he inspired it. They don't believe in the Word of God that they're even handling. You know, this is like Pat kind of touched on the scholarship. And that gets into a whole story that we'll get over later. But I did hear one guy, I think it was Ruckman. I, I've read a lot of Ruckman's books on this subject. and if If your spouse went on a trip this is like an analogy for this question. If your spouse goes on a trip, you know, Emmett goes to Europe for a month backpacking through the, through the Alps and stuff. <laughs> now, 
when he writes Pam a letter, Pam is going to want to want to read the words that Emmett wrote to her. All that gushy stuff, all those love, <laughs> you know, all that stuff, Song of Solomon stuff. Pam is not going to want to read the letter after someone else, say someone that doesn't like Emmett. I mean, I'm sure that person doesn't exist, but say they didn't like Emmett, they intercept the letter, they rewrite it for Pam, and now give it to Pam. It's not going to be very accurate, and they're probably going to like change things that Emmett said, and, and like soften things, and you know what I mean? It's not going to be a good thing. Kind of the gist of it. Yeah, maybe the gist, not the true words. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly what has happened with these newer texts. People that don't believe God, don't love God, not even saved men, they're scholars, have taken what God gave us and changed the wording and softened things and changed things, and now this is delivered to us. But it's not the pure words that God gave us. So, yeah. So he wouldn't uh, he wouldn't preserve his word. So we can't outsource the translating of the Bible to unbelievers, and that's exactly what the church has done. Just like the way we've outsourced the printing of the Bible, we need to bring all that back. So now. If God really did give us these pure words through these men, would there be counterfeits created to counteract them? Of course. I mean, the devil, uh, when he first shows up, and you know, we, we all know the story in Genesis 3, when the devil shows up, the first thing he does is question what God said. You know, the yea hath God said crowd. So as soon as the scriptures were getting put on paper... The devil was active in counterfeiting and, and confusing the people. So, I mean, he's not going to miss that opportunity. Alright, so if, that's, if there is counterfeits, then how can we tell the difference between the true preserved text and the counterfeits? And to me, and what I'm going to kind of show, and I hope I can de demonstrate it, is when we look at history, through history, how these texts were transmitted to us, when we look at God's fingerprint in history on, on what happened to get them delivered, who delivered them, things like that, it's pretty obvious what the true text is. It's, it's very obvious. And that's what breaks my heart because you've got these very educated men that we just looked at that that missed the boat. I mean, they know more about all this than I do, I would think. But they, they, they just missed it somehow. So, alright. Kind of so, a couple ground rules. I think we're back on page... page I guess it's still on page two. So just, and these are just kind of like, for the next few weeks, just, just the way we operate here. Rule number one, it's, it's a spiritual book. We know this. <coughs> Uh, God used a, a spiritual, supernatural miracle to create it. And it's reasonable to assume and we believe that God used a supernatural miracle to preserve it. Then rule number two, Satan always wants to be desired. We know his uh, method of operation all through history and even in our own lives is to counterfeit, confuse, and counteract every work that God is doing. So... It, it, I mean, to all of us, I think, are on the same page. How can anyone think that, that the writings of Paul are not going to be counterfeited right from the get-go um, by the devil? And, and actually, I think that's the next part. Let me put down the handout here. Yeah. How the devil was already at work in Paul's day. I mean, Paul, and we know this, Paul has said many times in, in his writings that corruption was coming into the church. You know, I put that verse in 2 Corinthians 2.17 that we're not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, and you know, they're, they're not corrupting. And then in Galatians 1.7, there's some that are among you that are perverting the gospel. Um, 
And that's why, you know, I brought, you know, me and Steve were talking about this a little bit in the beginning. I don't know if you ever heard of it. There's a, there's a lot of guys. Okay, Paul, let me think, let me think how to present it. You know, we have Paul's writings, and we have, you know, and it says things like this. People among us that are corrupting the word. Well, we also have historians. We have friends of Paul. We have uh, uh, a guy named Polycarp, which was John's the disciple. That was his disciple. A lot of these men, at the same time Paul was writing and after, were also writing. They were writing books. Now, they're not part of the Bible. They're more of a history book. But in those history books, just like Paul, they go into a lot of detail on the groups and the heresies and the corruption that's really going strong right after Paul died. And that's what Irenaeus goes through a whole bunch of them here. Uh, a bunch of heresies that were going on. And they're really good books to read because you get, it gives you a lot of backstory on what things Paul's talking about. So... Um, so it's not a surprise to us. As soon as Paul wrote it, the devil wants to corrupt it. So we're, gonna, we're just going to operate off of that. And there's that. Okay, yeah, there's John the Disciple. So yeah, I just kind of threw that up just to give us a... You know, we got John the Disciple. He had three buddies, Ignatius, Papias, and Polycarp. They were disciples of John. They all wrote books. You can get them, you know. They're, they're very interesting books to read. Uh, actually, Papias doesn't have much, but Polycarp has a lot. Uh, Irenaeus, Polycarp's guy, and Irenaeus wrote several books. Um, and it's interesting, Irenaeus is actually in France. So he takes the gospel to France, and we'll get into that in a few weeks. But, uh, so anyway, these guys are all aware of the corruption that's going on. That's this guy here? Yeah, that's Irenaeus. Yeah, he's a good dude. Yeah, here's an example. I'll just throw this out. I see it sitting here. Irenaeus is a good Bible believer. He believes, and, and we'll talk about, there are key characteristics of the early believers that we follow. They, they believe in adult salvation. They believe uh, in, in the inerrancy of the word. They believe uh, baptism after salvation. They believe that the church should not be, uh, they don't believe in a church-state setup, that there's like one pope or patriarch. They believe in independent churches running themselves. They believe the same things we believe. Okay, Irenaeus was one of them. He ran a church in France. The Catholic Church has rewritten a history on a lot of these guys because they want them in their group because we have early writings of Irenaeus. And if Catholic Church could get Irenaeus in their pocket, he was one of our boys, and, and make a case that Irenaeus was you know, part of the Pope's succession, or he's a cardinal, or something like that, that just kind of builds their case to justify them. So they've, they've rebuilt him, they've got him looking all Catholic here with a little halo around him. And, the, the plus. and anytime you see a picture of Irenaeus, if Google Irenaeus or, or any of these guys, Polycarp, they're all going to look like Catholic priests because they've hijacked them. They've taken our guys and made them part of the Catholic history, and they were not. And it's so frustrating. I've been, man, I almost throw my pencil across the room sometimes when I'm, I'm reading on these guys. That's why I purposely, when I do a cut and paste, I don't, I don't include this stuff. I try to make it as tight as I can. I'm going to take it back. Because he was one of ours. <laughs> but anyway, I get blood boiling on that one. Um, it just makes me, it's just because people are dying and going to hell because they're being taught things that are, are historically not true and can historically be proven if people would just kind of do some research. Alright. Uh, Alright, so the next part of the slide, the next next part of the handout here. Terms to help us navigate. Alright. Actually, I need to calm down. Man, they made me mad. When we get to Augustine, uh, <laughs> and, uh, he really makes me mad because he's been and that's another story. So, we'll get there. Um, okay. 
Yeah, we're starting to get a long time. I'm not, I'm not got near as far as I was kind of hoping, but um, yeah, let me get through these next. All right, terms. We got to go through some terms real quick, and I'm not going to belabor this because uh, we're going to go through them as we go. And this is kind of where it starts getting dry. Uh, I don't want anybody to, you know, get bored or anything. But these are like the manuscript evidence field of study. It's just like any other study, like doctors or lawyers or whatever they've got all their own terms and things that we don't really understand and they use all these big words talk about things and uh, we don't understand so we're intimidated well we no need to be intimidated they're, they're very simple so first Bible we all know the Bible came from the Greek word biblios the canon the word canon with one in canon is an old Latin term meaning it's a standard it's just a rule when we talk about the Bible canon we're usually talking about the 66 books in our Bible are the canon it's these these are 66 books that have been chosen to be part of the the Bible that's the canon not not a big deal the originals or autographs we've we've talked about that's the original writing of the apostle or whoever. And like I said, none of them exist today. There is not a single original today. The oldest that we have, the oldest we have for the New Testament, uh, it's Papyri 52. It's P52. It's a little piece of Matthew. And it was written in like 300 AD. That's the oldest that we have piece of Matthew. It's like a credit card. I got a picture of it actually somewhere. Um, manuscripts. It's often uh, abbreviated MSS. That means just fragments. And, and these are these are fragments. These are manuscripts. Um, there's usually they look pretty rough. They've been through a lot. We have thousands of them. Alright. Let's leave that. Next we have the parchments. What's, what was the manuscript written on? The earliest, like what probably Moses used, like this is going back way BC, would be uh, vellum, they called it. It's animal skins. You know, we've seen how the Indians, they string up a rabbit or whatever, a calf, and they make this skin and turn it into a scroll. That's, that's some of the original writings were on parchments, vellum. Uh, next is the scroll, we've seen that. The papyrus. This, these came out of Egypt. We always hear about the papyrus scrolls. Uh, the papyrus plant, the Egyptian cuts it down, dries it, puts it into little sheets of paper, and uh, they put glue on it in this net. Now, interesting thing, well, actually we'll get to it in a second, but if you were going to write letters on this, it'd be tough to write, uh, you know, if you're writing on some something that's got lines in it. So early, the early alphabet that, that these guys all wrote in was capitals, they all caps, and and like P's and things like that. There were no rounded edges. Everything was like squared. So that's why when we see these old Hebrews and Greeks, it was like squared characters because that'd be hard to write on. Um, papyri, fragments of that papyrus, a codex, and this is where you guys have heard the term codex. A codex is more of a book. Uh, a codex, and we do find codexes, we found them, where it's like sheets of this papyrus or vellum that are, are bound together in uh, these tie things. And an interesting thing, I was reading a book on the, the Roman Empire one time. The Romans invented this method of, of putting sheets in a book instead of using scrolls. But it really didn't take off until after Jesus when the disciples started carrying the scripture around, they wanted to carry these instead of scrolls because it was more portable. So that was pretty cool. It was written by an unbeliever. But, alright. Uh, so those are the codexes. Uh, we got majuscules and minuscules. We'll get into some of this on the New Testament, but basically, the human humans, we wrote in uppercase until around 800 A.D majuscule and it, it looked like that yeah, that here is too hard to read this is, Greek. This, this is early early Greek is like yeah we wrote in all caps this is before 800 
and there's a cool reason why 800, but we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. But we wrote in all caps, there were no spaces between letters, it was just a big old string on a, on a scroll. Uh, and that's called majuscule writing. So whenever we find these old manuscripts, they can tell if it's all caps or not right off the bat if it's before 800. That's kind of interesting. Now, minuscule is when they introduced lowercase letters, which happened after 800. Uh, we'll talk about why that happened. Um, the variant, we'll talk about this a little more as we get there. Wow, I did not get very far. Um, when they find a big old pile of manuscripts, let's just say they find a big pile, and there's like 20 copies of Matthew, they find it in some vault somewhere, thousands of years old, or 8,000 years old. The variant number that the scholars use is the number where they talk about how different they are between each other. You know, like these Matthews vary by 30%. You know, that would be bad. They're all different. Well, just to give you a little info, the, the Texas receptus that our Bibles come from have like a 99% accuracy. They don't vary. So that's, that's good, but we'll get there in a little bit. So the variant is the number in the text, how much they vary. The Gregory Allen numbering system, we've got thousands of these little papyri fragments that I showed you a picture of. Scholars have went through and labeled all these with numbers and names, and you'll run across that Gregory Allen system. Uh, actually, I think I may have, yeah, that's it there. They call them like papyri 11, papyri 12. They keep track of where they came from. Paleography is the study of ancient writings. And then textual criticism. We've already talked about that. Textual criticism really started around the 1700s in Germany from the Sherry's people. They started questioning uh, how accurate are these texts that we're getting, that we're seeing. Maybe there's some problems with them. So they started, they started like a field of study to study ancient writings to see if they're really accurate in the 1700s, right after the KJV come out. Uh, and, and from there, it's just taken off. And nowadays, it's just like, if you're not a critic, then you're, you're not cool. You're not in the cool kids club. So textual criticism is, is looking at the text that we have with a critical eye, doubting if they're really accurate. So not, not cool to be a textual criticism or a critic at HBF. Um, <laughs> I think that's it. I, I have to do a teaching point. I like the way Steve does that. I, actually, this is a good place to quit. I did not get through this today, uh, which is cool. Alright, so just to remember, out of this class today, there are no originals. We are left with copies. Uh, we believe in the miracle of preservation. We have thousands of manuscripts in museums and libraries all over the world. We're finding more all the time, you know, just like the Dead Sea Scrolls, and, and we'll talk about all that. But we can be confident that we already have what God wants us to have. So it's, it's a good place to end. So now, any questions? Is this kind of this okay? And my wife fell asleep, so the introduction is kind of a little slow. But I think we'll have more fun as we get going into history to see how it all gets put together. You always hear about the book of Enoch and they always say that it's left out of the Bible. Yes, it was. Why was it? I have no idea. That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I have a chart next next week we'll kind of look at it. In a, there were like hundreds of books uh, that came out at the same time the Apostles, the Epistle of Barnabas, uh, Enoch, you know, I had the Shepherd of Hermes laying up here. All these books that we hear about, uh, when you read them, and most of those are available today, whenever you read them, you're like, wow, this is heresy first class. No wonder it's not in there. So our, our church fathers, these guys that I showed, the Polycarp and the boys, they recognized what was true scripture. And I think God led them to choose the books they chose. And then there was a lot of books not chosen, like Book of Enoch. Uh, Shepherd of Hermes. You know, I got a whole book of them here that I've read. Uh, Epistle of Barnabas, Epistle of Polycarp to the Philippians. Uh, That's not scripture. The Epistle of the Diognetes. Uh, Fragments of Papias. As good as these guys were, they weren't scripture. And when you read them, it's, you can kind of see why. 
But, but that's why. They were just they, they weren't deemed as scripture. God didn't lead them that way. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 So now the English words don't use the same definition. Yes. As they used to. Yeah, and that's something we'll get into. It's in my timeline. The evolution of the English English language, the you know the Anglo-Saxons and then all the stuff that went on in in England and Europe had a big impact on our Bibles, like what Pam's talking about, the changing of. There was a vowel shift that made a big difference. But anyway, the other. Uh, Belinda asked for prayer for Oh no. Okay, sure. Belinda's online. That's yeah. cool. That's a good deal. Alrighty. Let me uh, say a prayer. We'll get out of here. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the the chance to meet in your house today, Lord. I do thank you again for your word we have to study that. This infallible, pure words that you want us all to have, Lord. I just thank you for that and the people that have died to give it to us. And uh, just thank you for uh, just really everything you do in my life, Lord. I want to lift up Belinda and her, her uncle. That I don't know all the details of the situation, Lord, but I pray your grace and mercy would work in that. That, that her uncle, uh, if he's a believer, Lord, that you'd really uh, work in his heart. If he's not a believer, Lord, just work in his heart. Uh, bring that situation to come to, according to your will, Lord, and just pray that wisdom for, to, for Belinda to deal with that and to minister how she can. And just thank you again for the chance to meet and pray you'd prepare our hearts for the message this morning in church, Lord. And just, uh, just thank you again. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, here we go. I'll stop it. Well, I did not get as far. You used to do your uh, thirty-five thousand foot overview. That, that's kind of what this was. You yeah, the whole thing. I get caught up in it. Oops. All righty. Oh, Angie, your sandals are cute. Oh, Thank you. Yeah. They're not quite as comfortable. They're, 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 they're are comfortable, but I feel like I have to stretch my toes a little to keep them on, so I, I do them real tight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the ones that yeah, wear I wear all the time, I have them in all the colors, and those are my favorite. Right. right. Yeah, I don't see those. But better than my other Oh, I know. They've been, yeah.